0: Well, hey everyone, Pastor Steven here, and I wanna thank you for checking out this message from Journey Church. I hope that it encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus than ever before. If you are joining us today online or through the live stream, we are so excited that you are with us. However, we are not meant to do life alone, so don't let online media be a substitute for an actual community of faith and fellowship. God created us to do life with one another so that we can grow together on life's journey. We hope that you enjoy this message from God's Word.
1: Thanks for being here today. Thank you for worshiping with us today. This, this was a special time uh, with our worship today. As a church, we started seven years ago. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, we would have celebrated our seventh birthday or our seventh anniversary uh, as a church, and uh, we started with just a handful of us and, uh, and, and just are very thankful for what God, uh, God has done uh, during, during the seven years. Um, the young lady you saw up here on the stage, Maddie, That is the daughter of Chris, who was sitting on the stool over here, and uh, Maddie was about 10, I think, when we started as a church, and now to see her grown up and and worshiping with us on the worship team, what a cool cool thing that is, what a cool event that is. Um, Thinking about, as Chris was praying and thinking about just the fact that it's tough subjects that we're talking about, Um, we're talking about end times things, and they are very tough. They are very uh, difficult to talk about, those things. There's a lot happening in our world that we need to be aware of. There There are geopolitical events, biblical prophecy. Those things are beginning to intersect, there are things that we are seeing that we need to be paying careful attention to because they are pushing us toward everything that the Bible talks about with the end times. Sometimes it would be much easier to get up here and uh, preach a, a flowery message with a lot, of, uh, a lot of jokes built into it and something motivational to make you feel good about yourself, but that's not what a pastor's job is. A pastor's job, according to the book of Ezekiel chapter 3, is to be a watchman on the wall. In Ezekiel chapter 3, it says these words. Ezekiel was given a command by God, and God said, Now at the end of seven days, the word of Adonai came to me, saying, Son of man, I have appointed you as a watchman for the house of Israel. And so he goes on to say, Whatever I tell you, you make sure to tell, to the people of Israel, if you do not tell them and warn them, their guilt will be upon you, but if you tell them and warn them and they don't heed your warning, that guilt is not upon you, then it falls upon them. I feel like for a pastor, we are called to be watchmen on the wall, that we are there to point out the things that are happening in our world, that are happening according to biblical end times events, and we want to prepare you. Uh, I I know if if you you are a regular attender here, that's my heart. I want to prepare. I want to make sure that you are prepared, even if it's not the most popular of topics, or even if it's not the most flowery or encouraging uh, of topics. I want to make sure that you are prepared for the things that we are seeing that are taking place in the world around us. There are Biblical events geopolitical events that are happening that you need to be aware of and take heed of and take warning of and My job is to be that watchman and to share those things with you Right now one of the biggest problems we have in our world in the Christian Church Is that a majority of people in the church are biblically illiterate? They don't know the Word of God Maybe you find yourself falling into that camp. You don't know what the Word of God says. It's hard to take the events of the world uh, and and understand them from a biblical perspective because you just don't know the Bible. I want to encourage you to become biblically literate, that you pick up a copy of the Bible and you read it for yourself. I would encourage you to get a hard copy of the Bible. Keep it in your house. Keep one in your workplace, wherever you might need it, in your vehicle, because if you are merely using the app, we have already found that if people don't like what the app says, they can shut it off at any given moment. And how likely is it that we'll look at a Bible app and say those are hate words, that's hate speech, God's standard is wrong, and they will... Work to deplatform that and get that out of your hands. So if you have a physical copy, you can get my favorite version is what's called the Tree of Life version. It's written from a Hebrew perspective or translated from a Hebrew perspective. Um, The uh, uh, CSB, the Christian Standard, is a wonderful version. Uh, The ESV, the New King James Version, all of those are great versions. And I encourage you uh, to make sure you have a copy of the Bible yourself. Well, let's get into the message today. Uh, We're going to start again, as we have every week in Matthew chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 3, and then we're going to continue on a little bit further than we have and understand the ultimate sign of the time that Jesus is going to give. And so let's jump into this together. In Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 3, here's what it says. Again, let me set the stage and the context. They were coming to Jesus Jesus had just made a statement that was very end times in his statement. The disciples came to him and they wanted to know the answers to the questions of Jesus, when are these things gonna happen? So Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives, he is about a 20 minute walk from the temple of God, he was just in the temple of God teaching, they were looking at the temple, the disciples came to him and they said to him privately these things, they said to Jesus, tell us, When will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the sign or the signs of the end of the age? When are these things gonna happen? What is gonna be the sign that you're gonna come back? What is the signs that we should be looking for to understand the rise of the end of the age? There will be an end of the age according to what Jesus himself had said and what other biblical prophecy says. There will be an end, there will be a culminating event of Jesus' return, gathering his church and then bringing his wrath upon the world who do not follow him and aren't His who don't have a relationship with him and so they asked Jesus that question when what and what when are you gonna come? What's the signs? What is the sign of the end of the age now? Jesus Yeshua answered them and said be careful that no one leads you astray Don't let anybody deceive you Don't fall for the deception that is going to happen In the end, there will be some deceptive events that will cause you to question things. There will be signs and wonders that will happen that will cause you to question. Don't be deceived, he says. Many are gonna come in my name, and they are gonna say, I am the Messiah, and will lead many astray. You're gonna hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must happen. It must happen. This has to happen. It can't not happen it must happen but it is not yet the end for nation will rise up against nation kingdom will rise up against kingdom there's going to be famines there's going to be earthquakes in various places these are not the end these are just the beginning of the labor pains these are the beginning of the birth pains they're just going into labor and you've got the arduous process of labor that is going to happen then, Jesus says, they will hand you over to persecution and will kill you. You'll be hated by all the nations because of my name. And then many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise, will lead many astray because lawlessness will multiply. The love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This good news of the kingdom, the gospel, the message of Jesus shall be proclaimed in the whole world as a testimony and then he says then the end will come in truth every generation has seen some or most of these events happening in their generation Almost every generation has gone through times of deception, there have been deceptive teachings that have cropped up in every generation. It has been prolific over the past couple of centuries. In every generation there have been wars, there have been rumors of wars. In every generation you've had nation rising against nation, you've had kingdom against kingdom. In every generation they've had times of famine, they've had earthquakes, there's been persecution, there's been lawlessness, and the love of many has grown cold. So if that's happened in every generation, it begs the question, what will be our signs? How will we know that we are in the last days? I mean, it could be centuries, right? That's what could happen. How will we know if we are in the last days? Well, in Matthew 24, verse 32, Jesus says, the generation that sees all of these things will be the final generation. Meaning, when you see all of these events taking place in your generation, you will know that you are living in the last days. But Jesus is gonna give the ultimate sign next of how you could possibly know that you are in the last generation. If you see this event that he's going to say next, you can take for certainty that you are three and a half years away from the return of Jesus according to what it says in biblical prophecy in the book of Daniel. Here's what Jesus says next. So when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains when you see this event. This is the event, Jesus says. This is the ultimate event. You will know that you are in the last days if you witness this event. As you see things progressing, as you see signs moving toward this, you can know that you are living in the last days. We could be in the last decade, we could be in the last couple of decades given what is going on in the world today. And I'll show you some of those things in just a little bit. And this, again, we'll get into further over the next few weeks. So Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation that was spoken of through, uh, through the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, he says, let the reader understand. There will have to be a temple. It will have to be in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And there will have to be a person who will be the Antichrist who will stand in a rebuilt temple in the holy place of God doing an abominable act. There will be a final conflict that will come against the nation of Israel. Israel will be surrounded by a beastly empire. They will come against Jerusalem. They will overtake Jerusalem and the Antichrist will stand in the temple. Now... Jesus says if you want to understand this, you've got to understand the book of Daniel, which is what we're going to do starting today is to understand the book of Daniel. But Jesus gives the warning. When you see this event happen, he says, flee. The one on the roof, don't go down to take what is in the house. The one who is out in the field, don't don't go back to your house and get anything. Leave everything, don't even go get a coat. Don't even go back for anything. Just run, get out of there, flee. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. Pray that your escape will not happen in the winter or on the Sabbath, on Shabbat. For then there will be great trouble, such as has not happened since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will, and unless those days were cut short, no one would be delivered. But for the sake of the chosen, those days will be cut short. So Jesus is giving the warning, and the warning is not to the world. The warning is to the people in Jerusalem itself. I used to think, and my wife and I, we have six children, and I was always a little bit nervous having kids because I always thought, well, what happens if we have a child and the end times events happen? That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking specifically, woe to the ones in Jerusalem, in Israel at that time. Because the ones that are nursing babies or the ones that are pregnant, it's going to create chaos. Now think about this. If you go to the store today and you're a mom and you have multiple, multiple children, think of how much that just slows you down. You can't just run in and out for a loaf of bread or a gallon of milk because uh, because you've got kids You've got to take the kids with you You've got to get them all out of the car seats You've got to get them in the baskets And you've got to push them through the. And they want stuff And, and you've got to mask up And you've got to mask them up And it's just chaos So Jesus says it's going to be hard And if you're nursing a baby Or if you're pregnant It's going to be even more difficult for you and then he says also hope that it's not winter time because winter time in Israel can be tough it can get very cold it's very deserty and it can get very cold in the winter so he says pray that it's not in winter cuz that's going to slow things down and he says pray that it's not on the sabbath why would that matter because the orthodox jews in Israel and Jerusalem if it is on the sabbath they won't move It'll be congestion, it'll be chaos, and the Sabbath will slow things down. Winter will slow things down. Being pregnant or nursing a child will slow things down. Hope that that's not the case. Again, Jesus is saying all of this is focused on Israel. It's focused on Jerusalem, but the whole world will be drawn into this conflict. The whole world will be caught up in the chaos that is going to happen. So today, in trying to understand what Jesus is saying, today, we are going to look at the empire at the end of all things. Good job. That, okay. That was good. All right. We'll probably, yeah, that, that was a, a little gem that we figured out in first service that you, did, you get to appreciate that they didn't get to appreciate in first service. The empire at the end of all things. Yes, that was good. All right, well done, Stephen. I will get you a raise eventually. <laughs> Down the road sometime in the future. Okay. The empire at the end of all things. Now, we're going to look at part one because what we're going to do is dive into the book of Daniel because that's what Jesus said. If you want to understand, understand Daniel because Daniel lays out specifically what is going to happen. What I want to do is pray and dive into the book of Daniel. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege of having your word that we can open up and learn from. Help us to not be fearful. Help us to not be overwhelmed. Help us to not be uh, uh, anxious about the world's events. Help us to be wise. Help us, Lord, to watch. Help us, Lord, to receive the warnings that you provide. And help us to be working for your glory until you return. You tell us that blessed is the one who is working up until your return. And I pray, Father, that each one of us in here as ministers of the gospel would be working for your glory, helping people to be reconciled to you until the end, until it is too late. Father, I pray that you would take the jumble of thoughts in my mind and the all of the study that I have done and make it into a cohesive Uh, a cohesive package that I can communicate well. Lord, give me, please, the words to say on your behalf here today. Father, we thank you for what you're going to do among us. Now teach us your word and help us to see the signs around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So understand, Daniel, if you were living in the 1920s, let's say it's 1925, You were an 18-year-old young man or young woman. You would have just come out of World War I, that would be closed, that chapter would be closed. You would have come out of a global pandemic called the Spanish Flu that affected five million people and and, and killed, or 500 million people, and killed somewhere between 10 and 100 million, where people were wearing masks and social distancing. You would have come out of that event, you would have gone into the Roaring Twenties, and in the Roaring Twenties, you would have experienced an explosion economically. You would have also experienced an explosion culturally. They would have had new music that would have been on the scene, art and entertainment and new technologies that were happening. And it was a glorious time in the world at that time, but if you were a young man or woman, again, 18 years old, 1925, and you happened to be living in Germany, you may have been going to college and you may have been looking forward with anticipation to your future. Thinking about all of the things that you were going to do, all of the things that you were going to accomplish, the goals and the dreams that you had for yourself and your family. Imagine at that time, 1925, if somebody had come to you and warned you and said to you, here are the events that are going to happen over the next 15 years. If somebody had given you that warning, what would you have done? How would you have been different? How would you have lived differently? Would you have let go of the pettiness? Would you have let go of bitterness? Would you have started to forgive people? Would you have been more loving toward the people around you? Would you let go of the selfish ambition and work for God's sake and God's purposes going forward? How would your life have been different if somebody had warned you in 1925 about the rise of the Third Reich, about the rise of Adolf Hitler, about the rise of the most treacherous and barbaric regime that would have ever been in the world at that time. If somebody had warned you about the war that was coming that was going to take 50 million lives, that it was gonna throw most of the world into chaos and cause most of the continents to be uh, overwhelmed, would you have been different? Would you have lived different? Would you have done different things? I believe that we are in a 1920s moment right now. We have come out of or hopefully are coming out of a pandemic, but now we are starting to see the world shifting. We are starting to see regimes changing. We are starting to see cultures changing. We are starting to see power struggles that are happening that will change the trajectory of the world. Given that warning, are you willing to, wanting to, able to be different? Is there anything about your life that you would change Knowing if you would have known then what what we know now and heeding the warning that I'm telling you today That 1920s moment is not far away In fact, we may be at that 1920s moment looking for 15 years down the road at the events that are going to happen the events that are going to happen are centered in the Middle East They are centered around Israel and they will be centered around Jerusalem itself. And those are the events that we need to follow. Jesus gave the warning and he said, when you see the abomination of desolation, that's where you really pay attention. In fact, if you live there, run, flee, get out of there. But the whole world is gonna be caught up into the chaos of these events. And he says, all I want you to do is look at Daniel. He doesn't give any more explanation. Jesus doesn't give any more detail. He just says, it's already been written. Go look at Daniel, understand Daniel, and then you'll understand the events that are going to happen. So today, for the next really three weeks, we are gonna dive into Daniel. Now this is not a typical sermon. It's more of a a college class or a Bible study with some of the things that I'm gonna give you today. But I wanna give you these things so that you can be aware of the world events that are happening all around us right now as I speak. The book of Daniel has multiple things. There are 12 chapters in it. There's going back and forth between things that are happening to Daniel and happening to his friends with also some visions that are happening about future events. Daniel lived in Israel. Israel was overrun by Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar overran Israel and took many people captive. Daniel and his friends were some of those that were taken captive. While Daniel was in Babylon being uh, in servitude to the king, Daniel had four, I take that back, he had three visions, the king had a vision, and Daniel interpreted the king's vision. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at these four prophetic visions and see how these things line up with end times events and how they line up with the world events today. We're gonna look at Daniel chapter two, that was the king's vision, and then we'll look at Daniel chapter seven next week, that is Daniel's first vision, and then we'll look at Daniel chapter eight, that's his second vision, and Daniel 10 through 12, that is his third vision. So there are four prophetic visions that all have to do with end times events. We're gonna jump in to chapter two of the book of Daniel, chapter two, verses 27 through through 45. And here's the first vision. The first vision is that the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, who was incredibly powerful, who had a large empire, the king had a dream, and he couldn't explain the dream. And none of the people around him could explain the dream. Daniel stepped in, And Daniel was able to interpret the dream for the king, and the dream, as according to Daniel, wasn't really about the king, although a little bit was. The vision that Daniel was able to interpret was about future end times events. Let's look at it together. Daniel chapter 2 Starting in verse 27. Again, I'm gonna encourage you to, on your own, go read the book of Daniel. Some of it will make sense, some of it will not make sense, but have a familiarity with the book of Daniel. Daniel, after being asked by the king, what is this vision, here's how Daniel responded. Daniel answered the king, and he said to the king, the mystery about which the king inquired Is such that neither wise men astrologers magicians or sorcerers can disclose it to the king in other words they they don't understand it They're, they're never gonna figure it out but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar the things that will happen notice these words in the latter days what are the latter days This was originally written in Aramaic. The latter days are the end days. It literally means what's going to happen in the end. What will happen in the end times events. He is disclosing to Nebuchadnezzar, here is what's going to happen in the end. In the latter days, the days that perhaps we are living in right now. The dream and the visions that went through your head as you lay on your bed are these to you, O king, as you lay on your bed, came thoughts about what will come to pass in the future. These are future events that are going to happen in the last days. Again, Jesus said, refer to Daniel. We're referring to Daniel. Here's something that says what's going to happen in the end days. Here's what he goes on to say. Daniel says to the king, the revealer of mysteries, that's God, has made known to you what is going to happen. But as for me, Daniel says, this mystery is not revealed to me because I possess more wisdom than any other living person, but in order that the king may know that the the interpretation and understand the thoughts of your heart. You looked, O king, and behold, there before you stood a huge statue an enormous and dazzling image whose appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was of pure gold, its breasts and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet partly iron and partly clay. While you were watching, a stone was cut out but not by hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together. And they became like chaff from summer threshing floors that the wind blows away. Not a trace of them could be found. So Daniel says, this is the dream you had. You dreamt of a huge statue, it was a glorious statue, a beautiful statue, and it was made of four, or actually five, different elements. Here's a picture, this is an artist's rendition of what that might have looked like, something like this. You had a head of gold, you had arms and chest of silver, you had a belly and thighs of bronze, and then you had legs of iron, and you had feet of of iron and clay. That is the picture, perhaps, something like that is what Daniel uh, uh, interpreted that the king saw. Then he goes on to say this, then the stone that has struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. So the king said, uh, you've got to tell me what the dream was. So Daniel told him what the dream was and then Daniel's going to interpret. So the image is that image and the image is of the stone coming out of heaven destroying the feet which would then destroy the rest of the statue. That's the image that Nebuchadnezzar saw. What does that have to do with us? How does that affect us? What does it have to do with us? What is that about the end times? Well, let's look at it. Here's what Daniel says. He says, now we will tell the king its interpretation. We'll we'll tell you what this meant, what the meaning is behind all of this. You, O king, are the king of kings, to whom, uh, the king of kings to whom the God of heaven has given sovereignty, power, might, and glory. Whenever mankind, or wherever mankind, beasts of the field and fowls of the heaven dwell, he has given them into your hand and made you ruler over them. You are the head of gold. Again, go back to the statue, what is the head of gold? The head of gold is Babylon. He's saying, you are the first kingdom. Babylon is the most powerful kingdom and is the largest kingdom. Now Babylon would have ruled over the entire Middle East. Most of the Middle East, most of Northern Africa, most of what is, uh, is the Greece area today, but much large swath of, of the Middle East, all the way stretching over into India. That would have been the Babylonian Empire. He says, King, you are the gold head. You are the first empire that will come on the scene. And there's been none like you. You are the head of gold. Let's keep going. Now after you... Another kingdom will arise, one inferior to yours. So there will be another kingdom that will come after the Babylonian Empire. Again, go back to the statue, and that is the picture of silver. It is the arms and the chest of silver. Another kingdom. Babylon is the first kingdom, but there is another empire that will arise. And the second empire will, that will arise is the empire of the Medes and the Persians. We don't know that for sure, but most theologians agree that that is the Medes and the Persians that would then take over from the Babylonian Empire. They would happen uh, not many years after the Babylonians and they would rule the same land. It was the same region. It was over the Middle East. It was over Northern Africa. It was up into Greece. In the Turkey area today, that was the region second empire would rule. Well, let's keep going. Next, there's a third empire A third kingdom this one is of bronze which will rule over all the earth now that time the known part of earth was again the Middle Eastern Empire that was really the whole earth at the time and so let's go back to the statue so the third one you have is you have what is called the Greek Empire Alexander the great rules over the Greek Empire and he would have ruled over the same region over the Middle East over the Greece area down into northern Africa. That would be the area that would be ruled by the Greece empire. Finally, Daniel says this. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom. The fourth kingdom will be as strong as iron, for iron shatters and breaks everything. And just as iron smashes everything, so it will shatter and crush all the others. So the fourth kingdom is the kingdom of the legs. It is the kingdom of iron. Theologians have discussed what that kingdom is, and there is a debate that happens with that kingdom and what that kingdom actually is. Many prophecy books and many theologians thought, well, that's the Roman Empire. It has to be the Roman Empire. Here's the problem with that. The problem with that is a few things. First, the Roman Empire did not have the same land that they occupied as the other three empires. The other three empires ruled over the Middle East, over Greece, over Northern Africa. Rome was over mostly Europe. That was the European Empire. So the original vision was given to Nebuchadnezzar about his lands, not other lands, his lands. That's the first problem of why it probably isn't the Roman Empire. The second problem is this, that it says that this empire will shatter and cut everything else and crush everything else. Well, the problem with that is the Romans were not destroyers, they were builders. They would occupy, but they weren't about destroying, they were about building. The third problem with that is go back to this, look what it says, or no, I'm sorry, it says it a little bit later. It says that this empire will be mixed. Well, you see here at the bottom, it says, the strength of the iron, you saw the iron mixed with clay. You know what the word mixed is in the Aramaic language? This is crazy, the word mixed in the Aramaic language, and you can look it up in Strong's Bible Concordance, is the word Arab. The Romans were not an Arab empire. So it can't possibly be the Roman Empire. So this empire of iron is most likely the Ottoman Empire. Because the Ottoman Empire that ruled from 1299 to 1922 crushed everything in its its wake. The Ottoman Empire was the Islamic State. It was the last caliphate. It was the last Islamic state where under Muslim control, the Arab nations ran over everything else. Most likely, the legs of iron was the Ottoman Empire, and the Ottoman Empire ceased to exist in 1922. They existed from 1299 all the way to 1922, But in 1920, the Ottoman Empire, which was headquartered in Istanbul, Turkey, the Ottoman Empire ruled over the region with force and might. In 1920, a treaty was signed where the empire was broken up and divided, as it says here, it was a divided kingdom and it was divided among the French, the Greeks, the Brits, and Armenia. 1922. Do you know what opened the door because of the division and the, uh, the um, dissolution of the Ottoman Empire? It was the nation of Israel coming back on the scene. Israel could not come back unless the Ottoman Empire, the caliphate, the Muslim caliphate was out of the way. And once they were out of the way, and World War II happened, and Israel was reborn as a nation, it has caused the Middle East to be in an uproar ever since. The Muslims have a blood lust to destroy the Jewish nation. And they will not rest until they liberate the Israel lands from their words, the swine of the Jewish people. Where they can finally liberate the Dome of the Rock, and call this place their holy place again. And how do they do that? They have to get rid of the Jewish people. Well, all was lost in 1922 because the Ottoman Empire ceased to exist. Here's the thing, that the legs of iron will come back as toes and feet of both iron and clay. It will come back mixed. It will come back with that word Arab that's going to happen. Keep going at what Daniel says, Daniel says this, as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle, just as you saw iron mixed with clay, people will mix with one another, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. Now, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. In the book of Revelation, of the last empire, here's what it says in Revelation chapter 17, verse eight. The beast, and this was given to John. John was in heaven and he saw this vision and he wrote this vision down. John is there in heaven and here's what John says. The beast, that's the empire, that is the final empire, the toes and the feet of clay and iron, the beast that you saw was and is not, and yet is about to rise up from the abyss and head for destruction. Those who dwell on the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast, because he was and is not and is to come. What does that mean? It means the beastly empire was there, then it was gone, and then it has come back again. Today, in modern day Turkey, now in 1922, when the Ottoman Empire ceased to exist, Turkey, which was the headquarters for the Islamic empire, the Islamic caliphate of the Ottoman Empire, In Turkey, in Istanbul, the headquarters, the country turned into a secular state. We are not gonna have any religion anymore. We are not going to follow any any God anymore. We are going to be a secular nation and a secular state. And they existed in that manner all the way up until the election of President Erdogan. President Erdogan, who is the head of Turkey today, and he makes no secret about this, he is calling for the reestablishment of the Muslim Islamic State. He is calling for the reestablishment of the Caliphate. What does that mean to us? If the Caliphate is reformed, and if, and we can look and see and pretty well speculate, according to the book of Ezekiel, we can look and speculate as to the 10 nations that would join with him, or the nine other nations that would join with him, we can see the rise of the Turkish Caliphate, which would, in many ways, be the rise of the beastly empire, the rise of the Antichrist's rule. If you combine that prophetic vision that Daniel had With the other three that we are going to talk about, you can see how world events are starting to move in that direction. I would encourage you to, yeah, pay attention to the stuff going on in the US if you want to, if you can stomach it. It's mostly propaganda pieces that are in the media today. But I would encourage you to pay attention to what is going on in the Middle East. One thing I particularly watch every day is uh, It's on YouTube, it's a uh, television station out of Israel, it's called TV7 News, TV7 Israel News. It's about a 15 to 20 minute clip every day, and they will just talk about world events that are happening in that region from a biblical perspective. And what you will see out of Turkey is more and more talk about reestablishing the caliphate. They believe that if they can reestablish the caliphate, that in Islam teaching, according to the Quran and the Hadith, that they will be bringing in their prophetic in days. They believe, according to Islamic prophecy, that if they can reestablish the Caliphate, that they will have their Messiah, the Caliph, who will lead that Caliphate. Their Messiah, is what our Bible talks about as the Antichrist. Pay attention and beware that those events are taking place. The reestablishment of the Caliphate, the reestablishment of an empire that was destroyed that will come back again. It couldn't possibly be the Roman Empire. They don't have the bloodlust. The European Union does not care. Spain and France and Britain does not care about coming in and destroying Israel, but the Arab nations do. If you combine the forces of the 10 nations that are believed that would join this caliphate, they will have the biggest army in the world with the most powerful weaponry not only nuclear weapons, but also just uh, other missiles and other armaments, That they everything that they need to destroy. The mark of the beast will be a mark that is talked about in the worship of that beastly empire. Do you know the mark is not the vaccine? Whether you want to get the vaccine or not, that is completely your choice. It has nothing to do with the mark of the beast because the mark of the beast has everything to do with worshiping the beastly empire and it has everything to do with worshiping of the Antichrist. We have to become aware of these events. That's why I say to you, it's like we're living in a 1920s moment because you start to see the formations of the things that led to the rise of Adolf Hitler are the same kinds of things that are happening behind the scenes that could easily lead to the rise of the beastly empire which means we may only be years away. Now here's the good news. Jesus says this, this kingdom, this empire, this beastly empire will not stand against God. In those days, it says, of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed nor will this kingdom be left to another people. It will crush and bring to an end all these kingdoms, but it will endure forever. God's kingdom will not come on the scene until the beastly empire has been risen up and the Antichrist is in place. And how will we know? Well, we'll see the world events, and we'll understand, and we'll have some ideas, but when you see them surrounding Israel, you see the time of Jacob's trouble, you see Israel being overrun, Jerusalem being overrun, you see this this Antichrist in the temple of God doing an abominable deed, an act of desolation, then you will know we are there. We will be caught up, the world will be caught up in this battle in many, many different ways. But Jesus says his kingdom will endure forever and the world's kingdoms will not stand. For just as you saw a stone cut out of the mountain, yet not by hands, you saw it crush the iron, you saw it crush the bronze, crush the clay, crush the silver, crush the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will happen in the future. Now the dream is certain and its interpretation is trustworthy. So what is that final scene? The final picture is this. It is the destruction of all of the world empires and God establishing his kingdom forever and ever. I want to close with one last thing, and it's a little bit of a long reading that I want to read, but it is out of the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 19, and I just want to show you this, that God has promised that he will be the ultimate victor and he will ultimately win. Let me read this for you. Just follow along on the screen. But let this encourage your heart and let this challenge your heart. Revelation 19, John again writing this vision that he had seen in his heavenly experience of the prophetic things that were to come. And it says, John writes these things, he says uh, after these things, I heard something like the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! salvation and glory and power belong to our God for his judgments are true and just for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her whoring that is the empires of the world and he has avenged the blood of his servants the holy ones of God who died at this hands of the prostitute and the second time they shouted, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Then the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and they worship God who is seated on the throne saying, Hallelujah, or amen, hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and all who fear him, both the small and the great, Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like the rumbling of powerful thunder. So if you've ever been to a sporting event, you've heard that wave of sound. That's kind of what you can picture in your, your mind. I heard this mighty sound, this powerful thunder saying, Hallelujah, for Adonai Elohi Zavot reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Who is the bride? It is the church. People across all time, across all nations, who have accepted Jesus as Lord. You become a part of the church, not because you show up at a building. You become a part of the church when you accept Jesus into your life and into your heart. When you say, Jesus, I need you. Please forgive me. Please forgive my sins. Help me to walk with you for the rest of my life. That is making you a part of the church. The church will be joined to the groom. And who is the groom? It is the Lamb of God. It is Jesus himself. We will be forever joined to him in perfect union during the wedding feast of the Lamb. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. His bride, us, we've made ourselves ready. We have been given linen to wear, new clothing. Your old clothes don't suit you. You're given new clothing. Bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the holy ones, the saints, the kedoshim. Then the angel tells me, John says, Write these words. How fortunate are those who have been invited to the wedding banquet of the Lamb! You got an invitation. You you got an invitation to the wedding. How fortunate are you? And contrary to that, how unfortunate are the ones who didn't get an invitation? Do you have an invitation? You do if your name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's the guest list. Again, how do you make sure your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life? You accept Jesus as Savior, you accept him as Lord, and your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life, and because of that, you're given an invitation to the wedding. How fortunate are those who have been invited to the wedding banquet of the Lamb, and how unfortunate are those who didn't get the invitation. He also tells me, the angel tells John, these are the true words of God. God. Then John says, I saw heaven opened, and following this wedding event, this wedding feast, behold a white horse. The one riding on it is called Faithful and True, and he judges and he makes war in righteousness. God will send out his son to battle against the world, all of those who have not accepted him, who missed out on the wedding banquet, He judges and he makes war in righteousness. His eyes are like a flame of fire and many royal crowns are on his head. He has a name written that no one knows except himself. He is clothed in a robe that has been dipped in blood because it is a bloody conquest that he is going in. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword so that, he, that with it he may strike down the nations and he shall rule them with an iron rod and he treads the winepress of the furious wrath of Elohim Zavot. On his robe and on his thigh He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. By the way, that's the only justification for a tattoo in the Bible. (laughs) On his thigh, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Then I saw a single angel standing in the sun and with a loud voice he cried out to all the birds flying high in the sky, come birds, gather. For the great banquet of God, God is providing a banquet for the birds of the sky. They get to eat the flesh of the kings and the flesh of generals and the flesh of mighty men that have been destroyed. The flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I also saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against God, against the one who sat on the, on the horse and against his army." Then the beast was captured, and along with him the false prophet who had performed the signs before him by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast, as well as those who had worshipped the beast's image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the one riding on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves with their flesh." In the end, God wins. In the end, he will reign. He will be like a stone that is cut out from the mountain who is thrown down, destroying the statue. What is the statue? It is the empires of the world. And in order for the final empire, the final God's kingdom to happen, we have to have the final evil, beastly empire rise up. And in my opinion... And again, this is just my opinion. The Bible clearly makes it sound as if that final empire is the Islamic Caliphate that is right now gaining steam in Turkey to revive the old Ottoman Empire, to revive the Islamic State and the real Islamic Caliphate. The ones who want to destroy Israel will in turn be destroyed. This empire will demand allegiance you know that they don't go into a place with kind thoughts. They they don't go in building schools and, 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 and putting up public works projects. They don't go digging wells in Africa. They tell people, repent or die. And if they have power, that's exactly what will happen. You worship our image. You worship the beast that we have erected. You worship our God or we will put you to death. Do you know that even today in Africa, especially in Nigeria. Christians are being killed just because of their faith, because they will not turn to Islam. The beastly empire will rise, and that is just the first prophecy that Daniel gives. He gives three more that clarifies it even more than that one does. Let me close with this thought. I asked you earlier, if you had been warned 15 years in 1925 before the rise of Adolf Hitler, before the rise of the Third Reich, would it change your life? If you have been warned of what the coming beastly empire will be, will that change your life? Will it change what you do? Will it change how you treat the people around you? Will it change your purpose? Will it change your desires? God is here to warn us not to scare us, but to warn us to make sure that our hearts are right. And he says to us how fortunate are those who've accepted his call, who've accepted his invitation, and who have been invited to the banquet, the wedding feast of the Lamb. Have you received your invitation? Let's pray. Father, I pray for those today that may not know for certain that they really are yours. They have never, by faith, accepted your free gift, the gift of your son. They have not ever received your offering. And I pray that today, Lord, that you right now would be knocking on their hearts and that they would open the door of their hearts and say yes to you. That they would say, Jesus, please come into my life and make me new. Father, I pray that you would just bless and that you would lead us. I pray, Father, that you would help us to be wise and see the world events around us. Help us to be aware of the things that are happening so that we are not caught off guard. Help us to heed the warning that you give. Help us to watch the signs around us and help us to be working for you until you return. Thank you for meeting with us today, Lord. Thank you for loving us, for caring for us, and for the time that we could spend opening your word. We lift all of these things up in the name of our Savior, the Lamb of God, Yeshua Jesus. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to that message from Journey Church. Be sure to stop by our website, journeychurchgillette.com and check out past sermons and learn how to get plugged in with us. Also, if you would like to give to Journey to help us continue doing ministry in ways like this, just hit the give button on our website to support us on this mission. Hey, I hope that you have a great day and may God bless you.